from Buffalo, Toronto Public Media and WBFO. This is What's Next, Producers Picks, highlights of conversations heard from and on previous shows. On this week, then the issue around the valuing, the humanity of black people. We hear from Pastor George Nicholas. Then we continue with our goal is to really sell, like, I tell, like, everyone that I come in contact with, like, I'm, I don't sell bags, I sell confidence, and I sell self-esteem. Um, and, and those things are quite important to me. Local artist and leather craftsman, Dame Powell. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thanks for listening. We start off with Jay Moran speaking with Pastor George Nicholas, leading up to Igniting Hope 2023 that took place in September. The two discussed health disparities in the African-American community amongst women in Western New York and the importance of igniting hope. Your relationship here really goes back a few years to the African, uh, the, the, the task force that right. took a look at the disparities mm-hmm. when it came to medical um, and health outcomes for African-Americans here in the city of Buffalo. Can you take us back to that time, what it was sure. like? Sure, yeah. There was, I think it was 2014 or 2013, and a small group of us began to engage in conversations about colorectal cancer and, um, and, and the disproportionate number of African Americans who were suffering about that. And I challenged the group to, let's look deeper. Let's look at you know, all chronic diseases and seeing you know, what is the, what's the story, what's going on uh, in the African American community in this region. And so we began to look at data and outcomes and from the state and the county. And we discovered that, you know, if you were African-American and you were living uh, in the African-American community, five or six zip codes we focused on, you would be 300% more likely to have a chronic disease than if you were white and lived outside of those things. So we're talking about diabetes and mm. hypertension, different types of cancers and, and uh, heart disease and all these things that... that um, can you know, they're, they're preventable in some ways or at least manageable right and and the reason why we have such uh, uh, terrible uh, health outcomes in the black community and the health disparities exist they're so pronounced that when you look at the the state does an assessment of of county uh, health you know what's what's the health of a county and they look at all kinds of outcomes you know that you would look to to assess public health and every year, Erie County, uh, there's 66 counties in the state. Erie County consistently ranks 64, 65, mm. one of the worst in the state. But then when you when you begin to look at the data and begin to pull out the poor health outcomes of the African-American community, which makes up about maybe about 12 to 14 percent of the, of the county population, those numbers are so uh, starkly... Uh, they're just they're just they're so poor that it pulls the the total number down. So when you look at the health outcomes for white people in Erie County, they're right right around in the middle of the state, right? But the numbers for black people are so significantly worse that it pulls the whole number down. And just to be clear, when we're talking about uh, black people living in Erie County, considerably lower than say black people living in New York City. Yeah, yeah, we have, we have some of the worst in, the, in, in not only some of the worst in the state, but some of the worst in the country. Wow, right here in the city of Good Neighbors, <laughs> and uh, and that's been documented. And so, so we have been working um, on 
uh, developing a kind of response. I think one of the first things we wanted to do is to understand the data and then and to understand why it is that way. You know, a lot of times people will immediately jump to behavior and, and behavior is part of it. But the but thing, wasn't that almost a cliche? Well, yeah, I mean, that's what, you know, black people eat too much fried chicken and do whatever, and that's why you all got high blood pressure. Mm. Well, that's not necessarily the case, right? And so uh, every leading uh, health organization, whether it be the uh, Center for Disease Control or the World Health Organization or any reputable uh, medical school or that looks at public health, will tell you that what drives health outcomes are the social determinants of health, the lived environment, that you know, will be 60 or 70% of the determination of what your health outcomes will be. So when you have great disparities in, um, for example, income um, and wealth, right? Well, we know here that uh, in, in this country, uh, the wealth gap is, is, is as bad as it's been in the last 40 or 50 years, where, you know, it depends on what study you read, but uh, for every dollar of wealth that African-American has, uh, a white person will have $18. And so it's, it's significant, right? And and then when you look at educational outcomes, right, here in the city of Buffalo, uh, we, you know, people always talk about graduation rates, but that that's one indicator. But another indicator, which I think is more important, is, is whether the child is at grade level, right? And um, there is... No question, the data shows that African American children in the Buffalo Public Schools are two to three grade levels behind where they need to be, mm. and the and the the majority of them, right? Which which will, um, you know, education is one of the best indicators of potential uh, economic advancement, right? And so now uh, we have. Uh, so so much massive poverty on the east side of Buffalo in the African American community, it's tied to a lot of factors, but one of them is the factors of the educational outcomes, right? So, you have great organizations like uh, the Northland Training Center that will provide great opportunities for people to uh, get training to get some pretty good jobs. But you have to be able to pass this thing called the tape test, right? Which, and you got to be operating at least at the eighth grade math level, I believe. And so, and and there's there's a, a lot challenge. of kids. A lot of kids are being left out because yeah, of that. yeah, and, and it's not their fault, right? And and I mean, see, we got to understand the, the the distinction between a person having responsibility and whether that's something's their fault. Okay. Right. Right. All right. right. You know what I mean? And so, if we have a a, a system which makes it exceedingly more difficult for a person to achieve, right? Well, achievement is connected to opportunity. And, um, and so if you're, if you're not providing the same opportunity for a, a whole subset of people, why would you believe that their achievement would be at the same level of people who do have those opportunities? Right. Right? And so what we ought to work for in this community is is in is that the the educational outcomes for children uh uh African American children in the city of Buffalo and in, in other pockets too uh, would be mirror the outcomes of white children in Williamsville and in Orchard Park and in Clarence that's what we should be shooting for i mean and every child has should should have that right i was just going to say does it frustrate you though when that 
those arguments about I, just just talking about school in general. We're kind of getting off the topic, but I was I, knew, I, I had an idea that if I was with you for an hour, I would, we could get into a lot of different things about this. Uh, but that all of a sudden the argument becomes about well, this is my district, this is what we pay, yeah, that kind of thing. Ridiculous. I mean, you know, I mean, there's a moral argument, right? That. That you know, as responsible adults, responsible adults have a, a moral obligation to provide a kind of a community, a community of caring for every child, right? I mean, we have that. It's just a basic moral responsibility in any civilized uh, situation, right? And you know, we got to stop blaming children for for things that maybe they don't have as much control over as we think they they and and stop. And stop asking children to do to have you know to, to have Herculean efforts, just to basically you know be able to to do the basic things in order to succeed, right? And so, it's all about you know what's important to us as a community, and so we can we know that if your educational uh, attainment is not as where it ought to be, then it's going to be more difficult for you to to get a good job. Right. If you don't give a, have a good job, it's going to be difficult for you in order to make the kind of income that's going to allow for you to uh, uh, purchase a home or rent a home that is going to be something that's going to provide a sense of comfort and security for you. Dr. Henry Taylor, you know, in his report, uh, The Harder We Run, documented, right. documented the just dramatic uh, disparities uh, in, in housing quality. Uh, from the east on the east side of Buffalo, and we saw evidence of it, or the outcome of it, was when we had our blizzard. And while African Americans make up about twelve to fourteen percent of the of the county population, we were fifty percent of the deaths from that blizzard. And we're looking at some other data with some of our partners with Healthy Link and others that are looking at uh, um, hospitalization, uh, uh, frostbite, and hypothermia, and other things. And and the some of the emergency room uh, uh, data from that period, and we're finding just you know in preliminary look that there was a, a disproportionate numbers coming out of uh, certain communities. I guess you can guess where those communities were, and and we know that you know in terms of the housing stock and um, whether a home is properly weatherized and all these other things will have an impact of on on what happens inside that house if a blizzard hits, right? So, so for example, if if the power goes out in a home that's uh, at uh, standard, there are sure. standards, there right? are definitely standards, yes. right? Right. Yeah. Then you can expect the uh, um, maybe the home to get down to fifty-five degrees, fifty, which is cold, you know, oh, yeah. for but for a short period of time. If it's not properly done that that way. And if the electrical system and other weatherization pieces that you're supposed to have in a, in a home that's at code, then that home will drop to 30 degrees. And again, Dr. Taylor speaks much more eloquently about this because he's done a lot of the data uh, and the, done the research. And that's, again, uh, attributed to public policy that has allowed for, you know, uh, housing uh uh, standards to be at one level in one neighborhood and in another level at an in in another, um, and then the when you then when you put into the equation uh, income and rent, right? And if you're paying, you know, 
you know, I guess you probably want to pay about 10 or 15% or some 20% of your income on rent. But if you start paying, you know, 40 or 50% of your income on rent, right? And and then the, the unit that you're renting is not at code, right? Then it just creates a kind of, 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 of uncomfortable and unhealthy environment, right? So now, you know, just think about just the stress and that you know folks have and, and and a lot of times these people are working people too right and so but it's difficult in some places to kind of elevate yourself within the work environment you have or find a place because you maybe you haven't had the the opportunity or the access to the kind of training and other things that can that can elevate your skill level right right or maybe you don't have the time right to to take that extra course because you know you have a child at home and you know you can't afford for a child care all these different dynamics that that just are these constant hurdles that people have to to overcome there's some people who do that and great and, I, and, I, and we applaud them right but but that shouldn't be the kind of everyday existence for people in a community just because they're black before we went on the air you, you said you kind of looked at the city of Buffalo and some of the issues, the many issues that linger, yeah. especially for uh, the black community. And there's almost onto this, this, there's this lacking of a comprehensive approach. And so we're getting into housing a little bit now, maybe just to, for somebody who probably talks to a lot of different people, whether they're part of your congregation or others, what are you seeing with some of the housing around Buffalo? Well, again, I mean, it's, it's been documented. Yeah, Dr. Taylor's report, right? And then, you know, in, or, or, and just driving through communities or, or, you know, when I get a chance to visit some folks in, in their homes and, you know, and these are hardworking people they are doing the best they can, right? And um, you have all these vacant lots, you know, on the east side of Buffalo, right? And, and you have some pretty high, you know, rents are increasing for people. Right, and so you have rents increasing, food costs increasing, but incomes not increasing. So again, what what do you think? That's a not that's a formula for uh, for disaster. We know that you know there are issues around lead in the air and water quality. All this has been documented, but yet what what we haven't seen is the type of uh, comprehensive plan. I applaud the group and the organization. I think the, there's a group that just got. Uh, a, a federal grant to plant trees on the east side. Right. That's tremendous. I mean, and that's a tremendous first step because, you know, certainly trees uh, have an impact upon the on the environment, right? And 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 sadly, you we found whole sections of the east side where, you know, there were no trees and they were cutting down trees, which I don't understand. You know what I mean? And right. so, and so I think that 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 kind of work is 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 very very important because what's happening is is we have these these health outcomes right that that in some places you know uh, people are living 10 to 12 less years uh, if you live in certain communities mm-hmm. and that's just like again it's just not right and then you also have the economic impact of you know when you have the high cost of health care and the high cost of people who who are struggling with chronic diseases and need very expensive treatments, right? Um, and a lot of those things can can 
can be avoided, right? Or it can be diminished, right? If we make some some uh, pretty dramatic but achievable or doable, uh, realistic uh, adjustments in in how we invest resources and what we prioritize uh, in this community. So this is why it's so important for us to have these this Igniting Hope conference. Okay. And what we've been able to do through this this movement, right, is to You consider that a movement? Yes. You feel you feel that type of Yeah, it's got to be cuz that's the only thing that's going to bring change. So 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 institutional changes will don't come at a level that's impactful unless there's a movement that's pushing it, right? So systems are designed to to sustain themselves, right? And so 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 in order to get a, a system to do something that maybe not directly impact its own ability to sustain itself, but is something that will impact other people, right? You have to. They're not good people. The systems don't do these things voluntarily. They have to be, they they have to be pushed. Quite frankly, and um, and so by by bringing these issues around health disparities up and then pushing for health equity, and one of the you know and here we clearly the COVID wasn't a positive thing, but one of the positive things that came out of COVID. So I don't want nobody saying the pastor said COVID was a good thing. No, no. But but that one of the things that came out of that was it shined a spotlight upon upon the African American community and began to show the disparities because we knew that diabetes and asthma and uh, uh, heart disease and all these other things were made people more vulnerable to COVID-19. Well, we knew that there's numbers in these communities were significantly higher than than in the white community, right? And so and so we knew that this community was more vulnerable and 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 nationally, you know, African Americans were dying at two and a half to three times the rate of the populations in which they were coming out of. That was happening here in Erie County, but we, but because we mobilized Right and worked with county government with, uh, with Kaleida with Dr. Vasquez was a major player in this and others. Uh, we were able to put the COVID nineteen project in place, and and we were able to to lower the fatality numbers in this region to be in alignment with the population, and we we're one of the few places in this country to to, to be able to do that. That's really a worthwhile effort to to talk about it because if I'm not mistaken, initially there was a reluctance by the African-American community when it came to COVID vaccine, which right. kind of ties back into this, oh, this Henrietta Lacks story right. that we highlighted at the top of, uh, of the story. But talk about how that was that changed, because that's a big part of what you're talking about here. Well, it, you have to have, you know, real uh, authentic partnerships, right? So, so grassroots organizations in itself, just on surface, their ability to make change is, it's, there's a ceiling to that. Right, institutions which which have massive resources, right, they have to be able to partner with grassroots organizations or community-based organizations to not only come up with the solutions but to implement approaches together in order to address the problem. And that's what we were able to do. We we were able to partner with institutions, government, 
private industry in in, in in private in the medical world and whatever, and with churches where we had our call centers, right? And we were reaching out with the National Witness Project, uh, a great CBO that was knocking on doors, and we just built, you know, we built a, a, a team, an approach uh, to address these issues. Um, Pastor Nicholas, uh, we did touch about this a little bit earlier on. Henrietta Lacks, a story from the early 50s, one, uh, quite a story in the sense this, this woman, unfortunately, African-American, she dies of cervical cancer. Her so-called immortal cells, though, get harvested and go and help with major medical breakthroughs. But the ethical part of that is nobody asked for permission, uh, not uh, from her or from her heirs as well. And so the issue around Henrietta Lacks really, uh, you know, and the fact that immortal cells and uh, but yet her cells were immortal, but she wasn't. Right. Right. And but the main thing really thinks makes me think about is just the relationship in general with people of African descent and this republic and the issue around consent. And the and the issue around the valuing the humanity of black people. Right. And how, you know, our humanity was robbed from us with the enslavement uh, of our people for since 1619, 1519, go back into the South and Central America and the Caribbean and from 1619 to 1865 or, and really beyond. I don't think the Emancipation Proclamation was finally ratified in the state of Texas till like 1917 or something, crazy number like that. Um, and, and so you, you think about you know, the fact that people can feel they have the right to harvest your cells, right? Or the right to uh, experiment upon uh, black women in order to uh, develop the the art and medicine and procedures around gynecology. If you think about all the experimentation upon black bodies in the medical field, so the Henrietta Lacks thing was not the only thing. No. It's one of the one of the most well known. It really just the issue of just consent and feeling like certain people feel like they have the right right to take something as personal as intimate as a part of your body right not only so it wasn't enough to rob us of our culture of our identity of income of our way we practice religion all kinds of stuff but now 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 feeling like you have the the right the supreme right and in some people's mind, a divine right, which is clearly it's not, mm. to take that. And and the fact that good came out of it is not relevant to the point of the process that occurred. And then when you think about the, you know, the pharmaceutical industry and others who, you know, wherever there's there's medical advancements, there's also profit. Yes, that's for sure. <laughs> right, right, right. And so, and so, um, 
people made money off of this. But it wasn't, it wasn't black people. And so there's some serious ethical issues that are related to, you know, the Henrietta Lacks story. Um, there are huge ethical issues uh, around a lot of medical uh, practices. And I use the word practice intentionally. And the relationship of, of people of color. And also, when you think about the development of, of, of vaccinations and other things that oftentimes, you know, uh, clinical trials and stuff may have only been done on people of, of European descent and and then the slight variation of, of between a person from European descent and African descent could have an impact on how uh, effective uh, uh, whatever uh, drug or thing was, was created. Uh, out of it. So, so I think it's a really important conversation that we have now so that we don't repeat this because, you know, a lot of stuff when people start talking about AI and all this other stuff, again, there's another opportunity. We got to have Dr. Jamal Williams from UB on. He's because he, he's brilliant about this and he does a lot of research about uh, uh, genes and cells and all this other stuff and, and how. You know, this stuff, the, the medical world is going to really get really deeper into technology. And, 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 but is it going to be designed only for people of European descent mm. and not people of African descent? And, and, and it's trending that way. And so it's just, it's just a sickness, really, that we've, we've had in this country since its inception to devalue and undervalue people of color. And it's just, we got we to gotta break through it has at some point. It's got to stop. The Henrietta Lacks story, that's early 50s. Here we are today. What are we seeing with relationships with individual African-Americans who are going to their doctor? What, <laughs> what kind of relationships? Is there still that kind of lingering, yes. I know better than you, Absolutely. patronizing I mean, kind of thing that just, it's got to be a huge barrier when it comes to health. Yeah, I mean, there's a great, there's a great there's a number of books out, one called Medical Apartheid, that really uh, talks about, you know, the relationships with uh, uh, doctors and other uh, healthcare professionals and people of color, you know, and the, the, just the lack of listening and validating the humanity of the person that's sitting in front of you and coming to assumptions about them just because of the color of their skin. And that's something that's, again, documented. It's a real problem in the healthcare world. Um, and, and we see it a lot in the area of maternal health. Okay. Right. And so where, you know, African-American women are three to four times more likely to have poor birth outcomes than white women. And and even black women who are professionals and have access to care and stuff have worse uh, birth outcomes than white women that are wow. living in poverty. Yeah, it's just crazy, right? And a lot of that has to do with, you know, again, stress and trauma of institutional structural racism, uh, the lack of prenatal care uh, resources, but it also is related to, uh, you know, the relationships that a lot of black women have with 
their healthcare professionals. And even we've seen, you know, Serena Williams, you know, one of the most prominent black women in the world, almost lost her life giving birth to a child because her provider wouldn't listen to her. Beyonce had challenges when she had a child. And again, you know, this notion that, you know, when a black woman speaks, she doesn't know what she's talking about, even if it's related to her own body. And, and there's a reason why you don't see a lot of black people who are hooked on, on opioids and painkillers. Well, one of the main reasons is because black people are under-prescribed. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so deep. I mean, there's just the, just, and it's just this notion of, of just the lack of just seeing black people as human beings in this country and seeing us as, as having the same wants and desires of peace and security and prosperity and, and the ability to care for our children and see them prosper and, and to care for our seniors, you know, I'm on the master plan of aging for the, for the for the state of New York, and and just looking at how the issues of 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 dealing with aging in this state, and and again the issues of disparities, you know, and the challenges that our black seniors are having, that that are are more pronounced than what our white seniors are having around a lot of issues. Can you give me some examples? Well, again, housing. Right. Uh, quality of care in our uh, daycare facilities, nursing home type facilities. I mean, as a person that gets gets, gets around a little bit. Um, so you go to some of these facilities. Yeah, and they're not equal. They're just not. You know, and it's disturbing. It's extremely disturbing, you know, and just access to, to, to affordable housing with support and services. And then again, and then we're thinking about how the, the wealth gap um, um, plays a role there, right? So, so, you know, if you don't have a lot of wealth and stuff saved up, then it's going to impact the level of care that you're going to be able to either provide for yourself or to provide for your mother and father, aunts, uncles, whoever, right? So that that wealth gap, it, it kicks in in a lot of parts of your life. But, you know, it really kicks in on, in a lot of ways when it comes time to, to caring for, for our seniors because a lot of times, because of the journeys in this country, um, a lot of money that our seniors have saved had to be invested or given to their siblings, to their children or grandchildren, you know, to just basically survive. Right. And then when you see the disproportionate amount of African Americans that have engaged in the criminal justice system and the disparities in, in bail, you know, people. You know, they jumped to so many conclusions about bail reform and all these other issues and, and, 
and student health, uh, student loan stuff and all this stuff. And all these things have a, again, a, dis, a, 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 a just, there's a disparity in the impact. You know, I, I read a, a study once that said that like 20, 25 years after a person has graduated from college, uh, about 90% of whites uh, have paid off their student loans and and about 90% of blacks still are paying off. And so there's just all these things that, that just push, there's just this constant pushing down. Uh, there's data shows that the impact of, of systemic racism begins to break down your body, you know? And so, uh, because stress, we have to, we have to change. What we're doing is not working. And it doesn't mean, I'm not being critical of people who are doing great work. There's so many organizations that are doing great, great work trying to, as I put, put their finger in the dam. But we need systemic change. And that's what we're trying to build through this movement. That's what we call it igniting hope because it's aspirational. That was Jay Moran with Pastor George Nicholas. And we end the show with our conversation with local artist and leather craftsman, Dame Powell, who stopped by leading up to the Fig Fashion Show that took place in late September to discuss his inspirations and how he discovered his passion. You made quite a debut in the in the fashion world and the outerwear design world. Yeah. You've started up, you're the owner, you're the founder of Dame and and simply Dame. It's a, it's a name that... that, that that hopefully becomes synonymous with bags, with with designer bags, with backpacks, uh, leather works. That's where that's what you dabble in, right? Yeah, I mean, and I would love for it to go even further. Honestly, um, my my background is in started in like clothes and stuff like that. So, um, like I believe, not even I believe, my very first garment was a parka that I've ever made. Like I just woke up one day and was like, I'm gonna learn how to sew. Um, went to Walmart at two in the morning back when we used to have a 24 hour Walmart. Mm. Bought a, I think it was a singer or a brother, and just went to town you did like a little bit of backwards engineering on it yeah you know, so you ripped know it up and saw how it was made to put together and... yeah so what i was doing was just taking apart several different jackets when like when i made my very first uh coat um uh, so i think we i took apart i want to say three three of them and then i kind of just fused it all together mixed and matched and added pieces that that really uh resonated with me and um, wanted to pull aspects of, you know, like, uh, I guess, childhood and environment. And, you know, we put together a nice, uh, I keep saying we, but it was me at the time. It's the, the only f- we now. The former we. Yeah, the, uh, the former <laughs> we. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, like, I was I spent so much time just, you know, uh, and at the time I was technically homeless. So, um, yeah, so what I was doing was, like, I, I would uh, try to, like, get go like to my mom's house when she wasn't home <laughs> and um and uh just do as much song as i could in between time and then if 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 uh the environment was okay like i would even just stay the night and sleep on the floor and uh and then by the time i woke up i would head back to work or you know i used to have to like when i was when i first started i was doing like um van services and stuff like that and um you know you like transport like you know the elderly or Mm -hmm. the disabled to like their appointments so what i was doing was i was just keeping the keys and then i would go sleep in the van wow 
<laughs> then, wow. Yeah. So eventually, um, I was able to save up some money, mm-hmm. get my own apartment, and then I just turned my entire spot into like a sweatshop. And then, more importantly, a, a sewing machine. Yeah. Yeah. I so, took my sewing machine with me. So, uh, and then like I would store it at like a best friend's house or something of that nature. That's then, where that's where it really took off. Once you had the the means, the equipment to start uh, creating and 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 fostering your passion. Yeah. That's where that's where it took off. If I'm not mistaken. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to blow up your spot or take away from the noteworthy work you've done so far in such a short period of time. But you were re- relatively new to this craft of leather work, right? It, leather work, a hundred percent. Um, I start. I was like I said, I was doing fashion. I was doing like clothes in like 2013 or so, and then uh, I want to say what 2020. Um, I got into leather crafts because no one was really go- had any place to go, <laughs> as as you know why. Uh, so I was just looking at it from a perspective. I'm like, well, eventually these folks are going to leave their house, mm-hmm. and I was just looking at book bags and stuff like that. I'm like, because you know, I was just getting ready to get into a job that required traveling, and I was like, I want a bag for myself, and I just couldn't figure it out. And I was just started watching, just you know. Um, Instagram videos and YouTube videos, and I, was, I found myself like just making a wallet first. I was like, "Well, let me just get the basics of what it is that I'm doing here." And eventually, I was able to uh, make uh, a, a backpack. Eventually, and and then kind of just blossomed from there. Um, and this is before I even had like an industrial. Like I knew before I even knew what sewing machine I even needed because I thought I was like, "Oh, well, I have a a good sewing machine. I'll use this one." But it was just for like you know fabric not leather and i found that out the hard way by breaking a bunch of needles (laughs) Um, that one i know i know you need specific uh sewing machine for leather as opposed to yeah so um, a lot of my original garments uh garments uh pieces that i used to make far as uh, leather goods are concerned were actually all 100 percent hand stitched no machinery at all i just was doing it like i guess you would say the old-fashioned way with just pricking irons and a hammer and just (laughs) two needles and a thread and uh going at it and it, it really taught me a lot and showed me what what you can and can't do and um what would be possible and how to you know like configure design based on your ability of what it is that you have the means to do so yeah and uh, i don't know if i've stated it yet but born and raised in buffalo this is this is your home it's been your home yes uh and and now we're with the Fig Fashion Show, the the, uh, the Fig Buffalo Fashion Show, the idea here is to hopefully make this spot a a welcoming destination for high fashion. Um, something that we'll get into in a little bit more detail. But I, I I'm just I'm just curious now. Your your current trade takes you to multiple places. You travel when you go other places in the world. How do you? What does it mean to to for you to be from Buffalo, what how do you convey that that you're from Buffalo when you're out of out of the city? Um I generally say it's like it's pretty warm here. <laughs> uh wherever I'm at and then they're like, What do you mean it's fifty degrees? I'm like, This is a Buffalo summer. That and then they're like, Oh, you're from a very cold place where most folks even think Buffalo is like in Canada somewhere and I'm like, mm, no, not quite the the true north that way. But um no, uh you know, you kinda just you here's the thing you're very well accepted when you're from 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 a town like buffalo because you kind of relate to almost everyone there you you don't have this chip on your shoulder in a sense of like oh i'm better than you is like mm. like like we we tend to you know have people with um i guess a more 
humble beginnings type of thing. Like we, we can have those type of people gravitate to you folks who are looking for other people that are down to earth instead of full of themselves. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, that's actually how I've been able to garner all of my relationships out of town is just, you know, talking about, um, like the everyday basic stuff, I guess. I mean, it, it, and I guess like things that are particular to Buffalo, you know, like, so when you, like we're known for what food and just, um, you know, our, our tailgates and wings and football. Yeah. Wings and football, bro. Like Maryland's and, crab cakes and football yeah. wings and football. <laughs> yeah. I mean, listen, uh, but you know, uh, the other part of that, though, is, like, wherever I go, I wear my own brand, obviously, mm-hmm. like, especially, like, my old garments and stuff like that. And that creates a conversation. And the first thing they want to know is, like, well, where are you from? Like, where did you do this at? And, you know, tell them from the town. From the town. And it's an eye-catching logo. I, I love it. It's cheetah with Dame, big, bold, uppercase letters. And the slogan, run with us. Yes. Love it. Yes, yes, how yes. That, how that, what was the, what's the, so you start doing, you start getting an interest in, in fashion in 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 clothing then you move to leather works mm-hmm. and then when do you say all right i'm 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 running with this i'm i'm moving moving forward with this what was the the aha moment what what, oh. what made you well pursue this further i mean the aha moment came Really, once I like, I think I like, posted my first video, of just making a wallet, and then like I sold like maybe like ten or eleven of them, or whatever. And then I, I think I was selling them for like pennies on a dollar. Like I think those wallets were probably going for like thirty, forty bucks. And like I was just using leather that I have found like around the house type of thing. Like I was just cutting up like NFL balls and <laughs> not knowing what I was doing. Just like I'm just gonna cut this up and make a card well, holder out of it. Pigskin wallet. Yeah. Like and that's what actually intrigued the men to to doing it right and then so like the how how my my clientele even built and how I realized what I was doing was worth anything was I would make these little I would make like football wallets or whatever and then um, the men would like you know like oh I really like this wallet and then Christmas would like come around or birthday would come up and I was like I think I want to get my girlfriend something and then. Um, you know, like, and at that time, I was just like, well, you know, I could do like, you know, maybe like a tote or something, like something super simple or whatever. And then, um, eventually, what happened is like they'll gift their girlfriend like the bag, uh, a bag or whatever. And then the girlfriend, like, oh, this is so nice. Where'd you get it from? And then they're like, oh, I got it from this guy. He makes them personally or whatever. And then, like, the wives double back to me and they're like, so, like, this is what he got me, but let me tell you what I really want. And and we pretty much, you know, built it off of just that. And, like, I've been able to build relationships with, you know, a lot of my clients. Like, I remember, like, almost all of everyone who's ever bought from me. But folks who, like, really, like, like, I've over the past, you know, few months, I've been learning, like, oh, I actually have, like, real people who, like, care about what it is that we're doing here. Um, where, like, they'll show up to pop-ups, not even to buy anything, just to be like, hey. like I need like, to meet yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to. I want to meet you, and 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 you know, a lot of them they buy, and some of them they don't. But um, the fact of the matter is, is that like the content that we create and the stuff that uh, that we're doing is 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 resonating and touching people, and then you know, like a lot. Of, like I've had to tell my story a hundred times over already, so and I'll continue to do it um, because I think it's it's something that if it can continue to you know put a smile on folks' face, why not? Well, going back to what you mentioned, how your genesis of, of creation of, of, of this brand, do you still deliver, hand deliver some of your work to your clientele? That's, that's if you something. live in the city of Buffalo, I'm coming to you. 
I'm coming straight to you. Um, if you buy something of, you know, <clears throat> if you're like getting uh, like a full custom order, you know, um, like we actually invite you over to like the the studio and we let you build a bag. You know, like 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 we greet you at the door with champagne and something to eat, and you know, we 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 pull out the, the color swatches and we, we our goal is to really sell like. I tell like everyone that I come in contact with, like I'm not, I don't sell bags, I sell confidence and I sell self esteem, um, and, and those things are quite important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like only because like I felt like I lacked them when I was growing up, so I'm like, well, I, at least I want to be able to dish this off to someone else who can use it. And you know, I want people to feel like superstars, and I want people to feel like like you know good about the what it is that they're about to get into and 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 when they pick up a bag that they spent this money on that it came with a, a memory already before they even had got a chance to even put it in their hands it came with a great memory that they could tell someone else about a lot of bespoke work a lot of yeah. tailor-made mm-hmm. yeah so like i said we, we like we give you like that the LV experience that we all want, you know, when we go to, like, if you find yourself on, like, Rodeo Drive and they assume that you have a, a substantial amount of money, they treat you a little bit differently in there. You know, you get greeted with champagne at those places and stuff like that. I'm like, well, everyone's a superstar to me, so, like, you're going to get champagne. You walk through my door. The humility and and yet a, an air of, of humility and confidence. That's the I think that's the, the sweet the sweet yeah. secret formula that, that, that take will take you very far. Mm-hmm. Um and because we mentioned you start naming all all the high end brands once again quote unquote high end brands uh, Balenciaga Versace Gucci Christian Dior Kate Spade uh, you're gonna get a you're gonna get the brand but you're not gonna get that you're not gonna get that treatment mm-hmm. you're, you're like it's it's you know and I, and I understand the idea of exclusivity and things of that nature but like you have to at least give people a chance to get involved in that exclusivity i guess you know what i mean instead of just hand picking them yourself mm-hmm. um but you know I, I, we've what we've discovered is the folks who buy into dame like they really buy in and like on another level without me having to preface anything for them they're just like no no no, no. like this is this is part of my identity now you know um and like how how crazy is that as a, a designer to see people engulfed in your thoughts you know and then pay you for them like i like like i, I tell dana all the time i'm like look this this person just gave me pennies for my thoughts like how crazy is that you know like like i just find that to be fascinating as a creative seeing something go from the innards of your brain onto somebody onto uh, onto their body mm-hmm. and wearing it and the, the, the there's a pride there's there's an un, un, unmatchable pride there 100 percent. the idea of just seeing someone that you just don't know that you've never met and and then seeing them in something that you made like and the reaction yeah and then like sometimes i like i'll um you know like oh you're talking about like after we present it i'm talking about like a, a walking in the process no, 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 no. I'm talking walking through the mall and then seeing someone wear your bed. It's oh, the serendipitous bananas. Or just bananas. Okay. Yeah, but um, but yeah, like that, like for me, even the presentation of like, oh, okay, like your bag is done. Here it is, about to present it. Like that, that interaction in and of itself is is a high for me. You know, like I'm like I'm going for that. Like I need that. Like oh my gosh, you know, like um, like uh, like just the 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 pure joy and excitement on someone's face and it's like all right i bought i brought happiness to somebody and, and and i hope that when they put that bag on and or that 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 uh garment like i want you to have an air of confidence like yo 
today is my day. And part of that, I would assume, is the creative process of, of making and designing some of these these bags. Uh, there's the regatta purse, which yes. is a, a big seller. Yes, that's our flagship bag. Um, we actually recently... Uh, I saw the lime green one, which was... That yeah, was pretty fire. That was an exclusive like that, that we had done for um, uh, a social media personality. Um, she was really Gary. Uh, her name's Casey Kirahara. She was she was really cool. Um, we got to work with her, um, and then uh, but yeah, we've made multiple colors even since then. We have colors that are coming, uh, but the regatta was uh, has been a staple in our our brand, and I very surprised that it did so well if i'm being honest um and and the popularity is just continuing to grow and the whole idea of the premise of the bag existing was bags are boring when they stand straight up and down <laughs> like that was just like what that's what we, made that what had, gave you some hesitation yeah I, I, no i just went on like well what if we just turned it on the side originally it was actually supposed to just be laid down because yeah, it's, it's narrow right on the bottom and then it widens up on top. yeah so, so it, it looks it's shaped exactly almost like a diamond in a sense mm-hmm. you know what i mean um and i just always thought it would be cool if like your bag could just lay down and what happens is it creates a um, a conversation it's a conversation starter when you know like i'll go out with dana and like she'll put the bag in like the middle of a room and just like leave it there and then eventually what happens is whose bag is that and she says oh it's mine I'm like, oh where'd you get it from he made it you know i'm like hi you know <laughs> it's it's it, and then it, the ball gets rolling and like it's rare that we show it or we go to a place and not walk out with with like some type of uh, given a card or even someone just purchasing right then and there we've had we've been in instances where like uh a man and wife uh kind of just like i think they bought like what two three bags from us like instantly uh, his and hers yeah nice. he was like i want this for myself and i'm gonna get two of these for her and like we're, we're baffled every time honestly <laughs> well like i've said before it, it's it's striking uh works uh the other one that i that i saw was the mariner and mm-hmm. that one has some special significance to you because What's what's that? Yeah, so that one is is like an ode to my mom. We we we've had a tumultuous relationship over the years, um, but it is much repaired now. And um, when I so when I had created the bag, um, it was really like I gave her the same treatment as I was as if I was give a random customer. And you know we we showed her and like we pretty much just designed this bag. And I'm like I think this bag is like it can't like it just needs to be more of them in a sense you know what i mean and i was like i'm just gonna name it the mariner because that those are the memories with my mom that were it where life was like that was the that was the apartment complex yeah it was the apartment complex in allentown across from rex and um yeah man we like out the 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 memories that come with it, you know, um, even the original color that it comes in, which is like this nice hazelnut, it just reminds me of though that that time in life, um, and to be able to present that to folks and then see like uh, mother daughter duos come in and buy bags, uh, buy that bag in particular, you know, like it's, I don't know, man, just this heartwarming situation for me. We mentioned it in one one way or another, and you mentioned Dana. You mentioned the two important women in your life. Yeah. And almost part of the, the, the process here. Yeah, uh, you, you wouldn't even know Behind every Dana. great man, <laughs> dot, 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 Dana Culp, you're, you're the marketer, uh, marketing mastermind of, of Dame. You've seen Dame take his, 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 his pride in his work and make it now something that he's sharing with, with the community and, and the world at large. 
How has that been seeing that? It's been amazing to just watch it unfold and just like we're still in our infancy, but it's just amazing just how far we've gotten and how much farther we are going to take it. But it's just a beautiful thing to watch. Yeah. You made the bag for her as a gift. There's no better gift That's than a handmade yeah. one. You made you made a bag for your mother, and that that the feeling has to be unmatched. So it, it's it's I I always like hearing the the, the the story behind some of the the the, the works and, and the the stuff that we we take in and consume and and the genesis of it all and, and that's part of it. I, I'm a good huge portion of it. I assume what, yeah. what drove you to 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 be where you're at today. Yes, I think that when you when we're making these pieces, I think what ha- what we lack in the I guess quote unquote luxury sector is the the story behind the pieces. I mean, granted, there's a couple the of them. Yeah, I mean, and it's, but I always tell people, I'm like, when you go out and you buy these bags, you don't even know why they exist. Like, do you understand? Like, to someone, this was art at one point, and to you, it's just an item that you want to just wear. But like, we when we when we st- you know, have our meetings with our clients and stuff like that. We like let them know, like, hey, like you're 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 buying a piece of, you know, myself in a sense, you know, and I want you to to be able to to understand what it is that you're getting into. It's just not something you want to just show people, you know. It's more along the lines of like, hey, I have a a piece of a uh, story here, and I want to I want to show this story off. I want to tell this story for you because we tell them why the bag exists if it's if it's not a custom piece um but even if it is a custom piece we still you know try to integrate and i ask questions about childhood and things of that nature like there's this bag called the valencia where that we created it's just a bucket bag but the way we styled the bucket bag was because the the lady who originally wanted this piece um she was like i used to have this this uh coach bucket bag in high school and it just like i have so many great memories with this bag and like i would love to just be able to like recreate this in some way shape or form and we was able to just rebuild that bag but like the reason that bag exists is because some woman wanted to relive her high school days through a, through a piece of work. And I wanted to kind of hopefully break some stereotypes here because uh, you do weekend bags, handbags, but you're seeing a lot of more bags that, that men are rocking. Yeah. It's it's something that, like, if you go far far back, there's still very much, or even currently, there's still very much a lot of toxic masculinity train of thought that questions men wearing or rocking bags what do you what would you say to those those folks mind your business <laughs> mind your business um, you know I, i've always i've always been very jealous of of women and and, and having purses and bags because it's so they're so uh it's convenient it's very convenient <laughs> I, we we have three pockets sometimes yeah and can't have to fit our whole lives in there yeah and i, I was one of those guys for a while and i was like at one point i'm like i don't want to wear that don't know bag like what is that like so growing up i used to just carry a backpack all the time Mm -hmm. and and i would keep everything in there from like a change of clothes to like my my dinner that night you know um especially like you know like coming from my generation like we actually used to go outside so you know and play football on on different (laughs) people's streets you know like we would like going home wasn't even an option until you know you had to hit curfew which for me you know that those street lights come on you better be on that porch or in at least mom should be able to see you by the time those street yeah if she call your name and you ain't running within 30 (laughs) seconds it's it's a wrap for you cuz um so you know uh 
bags have been a major part of my life, you know, and then growing up, I kind of like, oh, I'm an adult now. I don't need to carry all that stuff. And then as I get older, I'm like, oh, crap, like I need to keep more of these things on me, even though you're like, I mean, a lot of people treat their cars as like, as if it was a bag itself. Yeah. But I'm like, um, you know, like, where are you going to keep your mints? Where are you going to keep your phone? Why do you want these bulky pockets and stuff like that? Like, just being weighed well, down. Well, cell phones are just that much larger now. Did, we, we, we went to small phones, now we're back to big phones. And I miss my little flip phone, Me man. too. I used to be able to put that in your back pocket and forget about it. Um, a little razor, yeah. razors were, where it was at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, like your chirps and sidekicks. I, I'm a sidekick oh. kid myself. I was um, a sidekick. Yeah, sidekicks are fire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I think I think that they they hold they have a good place in 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 our culture, you know. Um, if you go to like New York City, you see men with totes, mm-hmm. you know, like really mm-hmm. nice totes at that. So, um, and they live a life where it's like going home isn't really necessarily something you can do right quick, you a know. Good like, satchel, yeah, you, you know, a bunch of stuff in there. Right, it's not just a joke in in Hangover. They're right, really functional and really nice looking. I think I think the idea of like not having a bag is pushed by is a narrative pushed by people who live in smaller towns where being able to hop in your car and go home and with because your home is within 10 minutes of your current location i think that's something that where that kind of like can stem from Uh, but like if you get into like i said the bigger metropolitan areas where it's a a 45 minute ride home if you forgot something you know like so it's best to just keep it all on you we thank you for joining us this has been producers picks we would like to thank our guest Pastor George Nicholas and Dame Powell. If you missed anything and you'd like to hear it again, a reminder that this program is a podcast. You can get it wherever you get your podcast or the Amplify BTPM app. And each episode is also online on demand at WBFO.org. I'm Dallas Taylor. Thanks for listening. This is the WBFO History Bites, bringing you a peek into significant historical events for the week of October 16th through October 22nd. I'm your host, Josh Deckert. On October 16th, 1851, the town of West Seneca was established. On October 17th, 1918, founder of the Buffalo Bills, Ralph C. Wilson Jr. was born. Wilson owned the Buffalo Bills until his death in 2014. On October 19, 1978, the Buffalo Convention Center opened. The facility now hosts job fairs, Comic-Cons, as well as the world's largest disco. And on October 20, 1955, the Buffalo Skyway opened. Although a controversial landmark, the Skyway is still one of the most iconic Buffalo locations. You've been listening to the WBFO History Bites. Discover more stories about Western New York's past on the Buffalo History Museum's website. You can learn more at buffalohistory.org. For WBFO, I'm Josh Deckerts.